Welcome to The Reserve, a news and thoughts podcast from the Centralverse. I'm your host, Caleb Nygaard, and today's episode number four. I'm thrilled with today's lineup. Stephen Kelly is back with us, as well as special guest, Sam Bell. Sam is the founder of Employ America, whose goal is to promote macro policies that ensure tight labor markets, higher wages, and better quality employment for all American workers. He is the Fed nominee savant, which is why we're particularly excited to have him here uh, today. And uh, welcome, Sam and Stephen. Thank you so much. So there's uh, lots of excitement uh, in the news this week um, and in the last couple of weeks in regards. uh, There's reporting that indicates that Biden may be in the final stages of deciding if he'll renominate Jay Powell as Fed chair or if he'll pick someone else. Uh, There are a few, there's one vacancy open and a few more on the board that are, uh, that will be coming open uh, in the next couple of months. Uh, And I think, I feel like it happened this week, although you guys may think it happened a little bit earlier, but I believe we're at the point this week in the cycle where this story that all the three of us are are thinking about all the time actually broke out of our circles and uh, kind of hit the hit the wider streams. Uh, there are reporters now whose beat is not traditionally the Fed that are uh, weighing in opinion uh, pieces uh, in the same uh, in the same place. So I just uh, you know wanted to start. Uh, there has been reporting that Biden could decide, make, announce a decision as soon as Labor Day, which is this coming week. Uh, other reporting says it'll be later in the fall. Uh, but it's, a, it's an important time and it's an exciting time. Uh, and so I just wanted to start, uh, Sam, by just asking what your uh, assessment of the, uh, of the race, of the, of the process is. Where are we at? This is so exciting. I mean, this is what we live for, right, Caleb? Um, it the, is. The, the, the drama, the high drama of Fed Reserve nominations. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be shocked if there's a decision by Labor Day. I think um, my, my understanding is that Biden himself hasn't really um, clued into this yet. Uh, okay. Um, so I don't know. I could, I, I'm sure there's different information flying around, but um, I... I well, you know, one dynamic on the decision is um, they're trying to keep everybody in the caucus in line, pointing in the same direction till they get over this um, infrastructure reconciliation hump, right? So, mm. you know, basically my understanding is most things that are not that are getting punted to beyond that because the fear is if you introduce other issues, you could alienate people that are needed on you know, the, the bigger, the bigger push. Now, maybe that won't be feasible because Joe Manchin put out a op-ed yesterday that said, you know, we need yeah. pause on reconciliation. And frankly, there's only so long they can pause on Fed chair, on Fed chair nomination. I mean, basically my, my calculation is, especially if they're going to appoint somebody that's different than Powell, they basically have to nominate by the end of October, um, you know, if they want to, if they want to be able to um, get someone confirmed by the end of the year, um, if they punted till next year, you know, they, they have really run the table really quickly um, in January and um, uh, that, that might be tough. So I, I would be, I would be surprised if it was Labor Day. I would be surprised if it was past, you know, say the first week or something in November. Um, 
But yeah, I think the state of the race is um, we don't really know where Joe Biden is. You, you may remember that all the all the experts thought that Michelle Flournoy was going to be Secretary of Defense. Um, I remember reading uh, Politico. You know, they have a breakdown of all the candidates, like for all the cabinet positions, and they, they didn't even list anybody else. It was just like Michelle Flournoy, and um, and then Lloyd Austin. You know, out of nowhere becomes the Secretary of Defense. Uh, obviously, not out of nowhere. He's a very accomplished general, but out of sure. nowhere in in the pundit pundit game, and you know, ditto. Uh, I'm pretty confident Janet Yellen wasn't thinking that she was either a candidate uh, <laughs> for a treasury secretary or like maybe even particularly interested in that job. But um, so we don't know. Joe Biden has been unpredictable on some of the biggest appointments and I don't, I'm not sure he's clued into this um, yet. I, I mean, I think there's, you know, two strong candidates that I think will definitely get consideration in Lael Brainerd and, um, and Jay Powell, and you know, I think there's a lot of, frankly, justified consternation on the part of Democrats about keeping a Republican bed chair, given that since Paul Volcker stepped down, uh, you know, we've had four years of uh, of a Democrat basically at, in, in this position, and that Democrat, even though she, you know, at the time of her potential reappointment. I'm talking about Janet Yellen, of course, but yep. at, the t- at the time of her potential re- reappointment, she had uh, a, a unemployment at, a, at 4% and inflation a touch below 2%, which, you know, if you compare that to all the outcomes in the past, it looks pretty good. And of course, she was not reappointed. So I think there's, I think the backdrop to all this is like, you know, Republicans don't play fair. Why should we? you know, play fair and shouldn't we have our own person? And um, and besides, you know, Lael Brainerd has been, you know, just as dovish recently as Jay Powell. So, um, you know, what, what we, we can have, we can have our cake and eat it too, right? We can have the dovish, you know, Powell monetary policy. And, you know, Lael has also been a huge dissenter on the regulatory front, making her more aligned with, you know, the Warren wing of the Democratic Party and has given more, at least attention to considerations of climate change and, you know, all that. Um, And, you know, I think those are, I think those are arguments that have a lot of purchase. um, And basically, I think the best arguments on the other side, you know, for Powell are, he has a track record now over the last few years of navigating difficult situations quite well. And he has, you know, whether he has an R next to his name or not, um, Mm -hmm. he has gotten the committee to what I perceive to be the most progressive place it's ever been on sort of monetary policy framework. And, you know, the framework review got a lot of attention, but for us, you know, the September guidance is the real, is the, is the thing that's really the shift where, you know, the committee has now said um, no rate hikes until maximum employment, where if you can, yep. if you compare that, if you compare that to where they were with the Evans thresholds in 2013, um, you know, where they said, well, well, we'll raise rates either when inflation goes above 2.5% or when unemployment, when we get below 6.5% unemployment, you know, this is like a a real uh, step up from like an anti-Nehru, you know, lean into yeah. the full employment mandate. Um, 
And critically for us, the, the, the guidance in September really treats the two goals, inflation and um, unemployment as co-equal, you know, so um, uh, there, there's, a, there's an and statement that, you know, s says that we basically have to hit both, both, uh, both key metrics um, for them to, to move on interest rate policy. So, um, you know, anyway, I'll, let, me, let me stop there. There's, there's sure. so much more I could say, but um, yeah, that's yeah. my cliff notes. Yeah, no, I think that's a perfect, that's the perfect framing. And I'll ask, I'll ask one follow-up and then I'll let Steven jump in here. But the, uh, on, on the process part, uh, there, Biden has had some big surprise uh, nominees. And I wonder with the Fed chair in particular, uh, and I'm going to use predict it as a way to frame this question. I, I know you've yep. tweeted a, a, a few yep. times. Everybody does. There's always a little... Uh, side eye or, or wink associated with it. Who knows who's making prediction? Who's making bets on on predicted? But you know he the it's been pretty steady. I mean I think as of right now it's at eighty nine uh, percent for Powell, ten percent for Brainerd. Um, yeah. But and that hasn't changed very much. Fluctuated you know from seventies to eighties the entire uh, the entire time it's been on there. Uh, but how much weight do you think? the administration will and then a, a second question how much should they put on this broader idea of not surprising with this pick and would we expect there to be signaling uh if uh if it was going to be someone other than than Brainerd Stephen and I in the past have talked about whether or not you know markets should look that differently between the two leading candidates. But, but those kind of two questions, how much do you think uh, uh, that, that uh, they will kind of lead with it and so that it won't be as much of a surprise? And should they even take that into consideration when making these, uh, these decisions? It's a great question. And I feel a little bit ill-equipped to answer it because I'm not, you know, in the White House. <laughs> um, I, I think it really, well, first of all, I'll say, I think the predicted, uh, I think it, it's a little bit, it's too weighted toward Powell right now. I mean, I think um, yeah. I think it's much closer race between the two of them. I, I don't think it's a 90-10 deal yeah. right now. But um, if any of your listeners are looking to make, you know, make a buck. Um, yeah. My entire but, uh, retirement portfolio is in it. So, <laughs> I, so yeah, yeah, good to yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, I don't. I, you know, I, I think it really depends on who the surprise pick is. If the surprise pick is, you know, Sam Bell, untested, <laughs> unproven, like, you know, crazy dove, you know, uh, you know, I think that would be quite unlikely. Um, I think a surprise pick, you know, in the, in the mold of Roger Ferguson, who is a former vice yeah. chair of the federal reserve he was in the running for treasury secretary he is quite close to the people in and around the biden administration gene sperling etc um uh you know that that's all he, he, he actually has a very fascinating um uh exit interview from the um from his fed you know uh fed days and yeah. you know, he, he has an interesting um 
description of like how how uh, how he came to be Fed Vice Chair, which includes Gene Sperling and Larry Summers and Janet Yellen. Anyway, your listeners should go check it out. It's very fun. But um, you know, someone like him, I think, would be perceived as a safe pair of hands, um, just given his past experience um, on the Fed. Um, and, you know, the fact that, um, you know, he was, he, he was the CEO of TIA Craft and, you yeah. know, a- anyway, I, you know, that for me, that would be a potentially bad outcome. You know, I don't think he's nearly as plugged into these labor market shifts, um, as, as Brainerd and Powell. And, you know, he was a huge cheerleader for like Graham Leach Bliley back in the day, financial deregulation. So the surprise candidate like in, in that mold would potentially be really bad for, you know, all parties, um, you know, FinReg, monetary policy, et cetera. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's, I definitely, I don't think it's out of the question. Um, and from a pro- process perspective, I can totally imagine the Biden people sort of getting hung up on, well, you know, we have, people have these issues with Powell, but we're not, for whatever reason, you know, Brainerd, no. And so like, yeah, we'll turn to, to someone like Ferguson. But um, I, yeah, I, th- I think that's totally in the realm of possibility and fits the pattern of, as I said before, the Lloyd Austin, Janet Yellen. Absolutely. Fix. All this talk of uh, surprise picks and with me worried about Judy Shelton again. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's funny you bring up Judy Shelton. I mean, one, one um, uh, you know, one one thing people are saying is like, you know, if we if we if we disregard, I think there's an interesting like, um, uh, are we sort of in the last stages of sort of like um, institutionalist Fed, you know, yeah. which has a which yeah. has a high degree of bipartisanship, you know, and yeah, maybe Judy was defeated, but we came so close, and mm-hmm. you know, if you put together like if Janet Yellen gets fired and then Jay Powell gets fired. And like, you know, progressives try to like stack the Fed. Are we going to just, is the Fed going to devolve into like, um, you know, a more partisan institution that has less continuity across administrations? I think it's a really fascinating question. I don't really have a lot of, um, I I think it's, I think it's a little bit overstated um, as a concern. Um, uh, on the other hand, you know, if we had a different Senate configuration, um, I do think like Steve Moore and Judy Shelton would be sitting on the Fed right now. Um, uh, you know, if, we, if, if Republicans had a bigger, bigger majorities in, in, in the Senate. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't quite know how to, how to think about that um, as a as a concern. Um, but I guess my gut is it's a little bit overstated right now, given given what we've seen. And like, we we we, we live in this very ironic um, reality that Donald Trump picked as his chair and vice chair, <laughs> literally the two Republicans that Barack Obama tried to put on the Fed board. Like, you know, Jay Powell. Yeah. Jay Powell obviously was picked by. Um, by Barack Obama, you know, um, to, to help grease the skids to get, to get other other Fed nominees on on the board. Um, but what people don't know as well is that Jay Powell only emerged as a candidate for that open Fed governor role when Rich Clarida dropped out, <laughs> um, and and the Obama people had been wanting to put Rich Clarida um, 
on the on on the board. Um, you know, obviously, he's a much more accomplished macroeconomist than Powell was. You know, Columbia University is very distinguished, um, uh, and you know, he dropped out um, for for family reasons, I'm told. And but anyway, it's this it's this very funny <laughs> funny reality that Donald Trump ends up picking literally the two people that uh, that. Barack Obama tried to put on the on the Fed as his top two, you know, monetary policy officials. So I don't know. I don't know how to parse out all the information on, you know, is the is the Fed on the on the slope towards, um, you know, becoming becoming just another, um, I don't know, you know, uh, FTC or whatever those commissions that are like, you know, it, it's all about the partisan alignment and. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is something Caleb and I have talked about in the past, and and uh, coming out in the past week, you know, we've kind of past couple of weeks, we've seen some of the more anti-Paul sentiment saying, "Hey, you know, it's not good enough to have a Brainerd type as as vice chair of supervision. We need her. We need her in the or someone like her. Uh, you know, they've not mentioned her by name um, in, in a chair spot, and that's obviously, you know, kind of to your point of." pushing towards a, a, a less institutional mm-hmm. framework, but even on a go forward basis, let's say, I mean, what, what do you see as even the difference on the regulatory agenda between Brainerd as, as vice chair for supervision and Brainerd as chair? I mean, one thing Caleb and I have talked about in past episodes is, you know, whether she's chair or vice chair of supervision, she's not going to rip up all the staff work that was done, no. you know, no. over the past few years and have those same staff rewrite these papers and, and come to different conclusions. Uh, and given how deferential Paul is, which, you know, I, I think it's fair to critique him for that. Is there really much of a, much of a difference between a Paul Brainerd one, two versus putting Brainerd in the chair spot? Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, um, yeah. And one, one critique I've gotten from people about you know, my work, which, you know, over the past few years has been very focused on Federal Reserve nominations is the governors don't matter. You know, the staff does everything. You know, it's like it's like if you want to if you, if you want to like change Fed policy, maybe you should be working on like, you know, who runs the, the Division of Monetary Affairs and like, you know, um, and, and in general, people on the outside way underweight the the importance of the staff. um the staff and compare, and I think it's I think it's because you know as compared to I don't know the Department of Transportation or like any other executive agency the Fed staff is just way more influential um, you could say powerful than um, than than the career staff in you know for example DOT and mm-hmm. I, I don't know DOT well enough so I shouldn't I shouldn't be like you know claiming <laughs> claiming they're not powerful but. Um, but anyway, yeah, people have said like you know, um, the and in general, um, I, I mean, you, you reference the, the you know the Powell being deferential. My my read is like, you know, Powell has been quite willing to defer to whoever has the baton on a given regulatory issue. So mm-hmm. you know, I went back and looked at like. During the Terulo years, I, you know, I didn't see anything, hear anything about him being terrible on regs, and uh, he definitely never dissented. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, his his longtime friend Randy Quarles got the vice chair for supervision job, and he supported him. You know, people are, you know, um, 
and, you know, that's definitely a, a fact that he largely supported Quarles. Um, mm. uh, you know, people are saying that proves that he's agrees with Quarles. I don't know. My read is when Brainerd had the CRA portfolio and the payments portfolio, he deferred to her. So the, 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 the through line I see is him being deferential to everyone on the board has the, has the uh, baton. But the larger point is, yeah, like I don't see Brainerd. Um, I, I think there could be reversals if she was vice chair of supervision or fed chair on some, on some of the technical questions, mm -hmm. but I don't see like a complete rewrite on, you know, um, basically any, any, uh, anything that's going on at the Fed. I mean, I think we're like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's my, that's my impression. I could be totally missing something. Yeah, no, I, I think that, I think that makes sense. And uh, another, I mean, people have raised concern that, oh, well, now Paul's got, got a, got a record on these things and he's going to have to go head to head with, with Brainerd. And again, I don't, I mean, Brainerd's just not going to straight undo anything uh, no matter the role. Uh, so I think he can still kind of stay in this deferential role and, and defer to staff research and, and as they tweak things going forward. Yeah. I mean, I think one, one way to think about, um, you know, one, one way to think about how, and, you know, is a little bit like, um, is to go back to S2155, you know, which was this bill that came out of the Senate, which like a number of Democratic senators voted for, which is, I, I'm, I'm going to botch the, the specifics, but I think in general, it would be, it would be correct to say this is like trying to tweak or you know meaningfully modify some of the Dodd-Frank provisions, but not overturn the Dodd-Frank architecture. And you know the Warren wing of the the Senate was obviously um, you know on fire about this, but like you know 12, 12 or so Democrats, you know Chris Coons, Tom Carper, um, Maggie Hassan, Gene Shaheen, like all, all co-sponsored and voted for this. Um, Michael Bennett, Mark Warner, Tim Kaine, anyway. Um, and so like, I kind of feel like Powell is sort of in that camp of like, you know, um, uh, I, you know, he, he's sometimes being described as like a Jeb Henserling, you know, um, <laughs> you know, but I, I like, I don't see him as somebody who's like ripping down the Dodd-Frank architecture, but yeah, he's probably modified it in ways that, you know, the Elizabeth Warrens of the world don't like. I think one of the disagreements is like how, yeah, how far can there be modifications in the opposite way? And I, I feel like he's flexible enough um, to follow a, a new vice chair vision. But the truth is, I don't, you know, I don't, I can't predict the future. I don't know for sure. Um, uh, I just don't see a lot of evidence that in the last 15 years, you know, and especially since the vice chair's supervision position was created that uh, there's been a lot of like the chair throwing their weight around. I see mostly a world in which, you know, Tarullo did a bunch of stuff and then Quarles did a bunch of stuff and, you know, mostly Bernanke, Yellen and, and then Powell were like, you know, um, uh, you know, by, not, not bystanders, but secondary players to mm. those two people, um, you know, running with stuff. And, um, 
so I, I don't see why that would, I don't see Powell as the sort of like inflexible ideologue that would like try to disrupt that pattern, but mm-hmm. I can't predict the future. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm missing something on it. Yeah. And even Tarullo liked some of the, some of the choral stuff, you know, it's just a process. It's an, it's an iterative yeah. process. And I think yep. that leaves him, that leaves Powell plenty of space going forward uh, to, to have a consistent record, even kind of going back and forth or tightening and yep. loosening on regulation. Yeah. Yeah. And to your original point, like, I think, I think people probably underweight how much the staff, you know, matters here. And, um, uh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So to follow up on the on 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 one aspect of of all of this, as these as these names gets tossed around, you know, there's been a, a, a vacancy on the mm-hmm. uh, on the board for uh, for a while, and there are more coming, uh, you know, in the next in the next few months. Besides the chair, uh, you know, formally in, in, in February of next year, and the you know Clarita in in September for the vice chair and of, of next year but his governor term uh, you know quarrels his uh, although his governor term isn't out for a long time his his leadership and and vice chair of supervision is done in in uh, just next month and he's got his yeah. other thing in, in Europe in December so there's reporting that maybe he'll go after December so when I was thinking of these of the board as a whole uh, there have been some some prominent writers and 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 opinions that you know that these especially the the current open sea that that's a big mistake from the Biden administration to leave that to leave that open on the other side there's the idea that we're going to sell uh, the Biden fed as a package and to kind of to your earlier point about Powell's original nomination uh, as being uh, there again, almost as part of a kind of a part of a package, uh, you know, kind of where, where do you stand uh, or what are your thoughts on, on these kind of different approaches? Uh, and do you think it was, and we won't know until it's over to be determined how successful it is, but is, I think there are, are, are many out there that would say you shouldn't work on this like as a package that you know biden on you know maybe not day one maybe one vacant non-leadership governor at the fed isn't maybe a day one decision but it it should be a within a day 30 kind of decision uh uh what are your thoughts there and then maybe after that we can get into some specifics about different combinations of people yeah it's a great point i wrote up this whole memo um last summer which was basically riffing off an old Matt Iglesias piece, which is like the biggest, you know, biggest mistake. I don't, I don't think this was actually the biggest mistake of Obama sure. administration, but he wrote this piece about how the biggest mistake of Obama administration was failing to quickly fill the, yeah. the Fed vacancies in, in 2009. And, you know, I, so I was, you know, riffing off that to be like, you know, you got to do it soon. <laughs> yep. I don't know. I don't, I don't. 2022 is going to be a difficult year, I think, on monetary policy. I think we will, I think by the middle of the year, if not sooner, we will be deep into, you know, fights about whether we've achieved the maximum employment um, uh, threshold and like, should we be raising rates? And, you know, I think we'll be still dealing with some lingering supply disruption issues. And so we won't have, you know, I don't know, 1.6% inflation 
um, you know, or, or something, you know, so the, I think things will be very hot on the committee in mid 2022. And if they haven't gotten their people on by then, I think it will look a lot worse. Um, yeah. It will look a lot worse that they left this open um, because, you know, basically right now, I think Powell is already starting to, you know, feel some of the forces of the Reserve Bank presidents and the Chris Wallers of the world sort of like, yeah. you know, pressuring his new framework. Um, but on the other hand, if you really zoom out, you know, is it the case right now that um, filling that one open seat would have changed the dynamics on this current Fed in this current moment? I don't think so. I, I mean, I'm uh, so like on the one hand, I want to give them shit for not, you know, um, <laughs> filling the vacancy. On the other hand, I'm like, there is a um, there is an optionality that's quite useful where like, um, especially if you don't know what Quarles is going to do in terms of how long he's going yeah. to stay after October, there's like, um, there is a useful optionality. And, and if you wanted to reappoint Powell, um, it, it is nice to have, have it paired with, you know, someone who's, you know, super pro progressive or somebody who, you know, makes Elizabeth Warren and Sherrod Brown happy. And, yeah. um, so, you know, that said, I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that, you know, so there's just, there's just, I think there are useful strategic reasons to have kept that open. I don't know if those are the reasons why it is open. I think it might just be like, <laughs> Sad. you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff we had to deal with, you know, um, yep. uh, in the first year of administration while we were getting the, you know, NEC staffed up. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, by the way, you know, like we were doing ARP and then we were like, yep. you know, spelling out reconciliation, American jobs plan, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, at this point, I'm not super inclined given the shifting pieces to like give them, uh, you know, a huge, you know, this was a tragic mistake. Um, but it will look worse if, um if we're in mid 2022, the fights are raging and, you know, they still haven't like filled out the, um, yeah. the, the, the board. Um, uh, yeah. So, so Sam, talk about yeah. how there's basically been a total lack of names offered. I mean, we talk about Lil Brainerd, but even the, even the folks coming out explicitly against Paul have not, not offered Brainerd. Uh, is, yeah. is, is this just about the short-term political, you know, agenda that you kind of mentioned earlier, where it's just nobody wants to wade into this right now because of other things? I, I, I mean, the other piece here is Powell could, or uh, Biden can make a huge imprint, whether he replaces Powell or not. You put Brainerd in vice chair, you give yep. the open seat to Sarah Bloom Raskin, and then you give yep. uh, Quarles or Clarita's seat to uh, Lisa Cook. I mean, how, how is everybody not happy with that? <laughs> yeah, I think you'll see more people coming out for Brainerd. I think there's um, two things. One, I think there are some people who are embarrassed about flipping. So <laughs> she, you know, Leo Brainerd was the front runner in, <laughs> you know, the Politico pundit sweepstakes for Treasury Secretary. Uh, and uh. a lot of the same, a lot of the same people who hate Powell were <laughs> 
frankly trashing her um, uh. and trying to make sure she was not treasury secretary. So it's a little rich to like come back, you know, um, yeah, <laughs> you couple know, months later. Hey, yeah, a couple <laughs> months later and say it has to be her. She's and we've we've already seen some of that um, flip bobbing. For for what it's worth, I think it was really unfair. Um, uh, 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 what, what happened around the Treasury Secretary. And I think the, the, the policy differences between her and Janet Yellen were <laughs> so hugely exaggerated. I mean, like crazily exaggerated in my view. And, um, and, you know, the other thing that is kind of a raw deal for her is she, everyone loves Dan Tarullo, you know, Dan Tarullo, regulatory, <laughs> you know, maestro, like, the, you know, he left the Fed April 2017, with five years left on his yep. governor term. And, you know, he could still be on the Fed right now, Dan Turillo could. His term would not have expired yet. And, um, you know, if we're saying every seat matters for FinReg decisions, you know, he, he could be fighting in the trenches right now, preserving the, you know, fighting the quarrels menace. <laughs> and he left. Um, and you know, maybe he had good reasons. I have no idea his family situation or what his income needs are, any, any of that stuff. Um, but Leo Brainerd stayed on the Fed the whole time, uh, uh, you know, during the during the Trump years. And not only did she stay, but she actually won some fights for progressives during the Trump administration, frustrating people like, you know, Trump villain Joseph Odding, you know, who mm -hmm. all all the progressives, especially on fin FinRag, you know, hate. And so the fact that she got, you know, uh, trashed during Treasury Secretary by some of the same people that claim to care about that really feels like a raw deal. But I digress. I mean, I think that, um, I think that um, there's, there's an embarrassment factor, but then I think there is a little bit of a like, Yes, she might be the best we can hope for, but that doesn't mean she's actually a progressive. Um, so, like mm -hmm. some people who follow who have followed her for years going back, you know, she was very much, you know, a free trade person. She was very much a like, you know, Hamilton Project type Democrat, you know, um, and especially some some of the folks who and and, and some of her more progressive positions are frankly a little bit new um you know so um uh, you know she's she's talking about things um in a more progressive direction in in the last few years and and there could be some people who you know looking over the broad sweep of her career like ah should we really go go to back for someone we're not sure is like in their bones you know a progressive again i think that's a little bit of a narrow way of thinking but um, I think those are the two things. I think you will see more, you know, as, as things narrow, I think you'll see more out and out, you know, advocacy for her specifically. Um, uh, and now, now I've forgotten your question, but have I answered the, the whole? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's kind of part of why I think we're seeing no names offered. And, and yeah. I mean, I, I guess the other part of the question is, doesn't, doesn't Biden really kind of have it easy? I mean, can't, can't Powell once again be the sweetener uh, to get Bloom, yep. Raskin, Cook, and then to move Brainerd over? Yep. I mean, yep. that seems like a, that seems like a winnable. That seems like a good position to be in if you're Biden yep. to have that much flexibility. Yeah, totally. I don't know if I don't know if all of those people will say yes. Should Powell? 
be the pick for chair. So, mm. um, you know, that's always an interesting dynamic. I mean, in the past, the Fed chair has actually had a lot of, um, shall we say, influence in who the administration picks, you know? Yeah. So like, you know, the, the thing I was talking about before with Clarida, it's like, oh, what a coincidence that Trump picked, you know, Powell and Clarida. Well, it's not such a coincidence if you think that Jay Powell was actually, you know, uh, had his weight on the scales for, for Clarida, you know, um, and, you know, there's, um, there's, there's, there's a little dance there about like, um, yeah, maybe I want to be vice chair of supervision, but do I want to do it under Jay Powell? Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I think your broader point is totally correct that like, yes, they could, given that there is, is not someone who is like a consensus, this is a progressive all-star, the whole progressive community is behind them and they have a realistic chance of getting confirmed by the Senate. And, um, you know, that definitely gives Powell, I think, uh, um, you know, yeah. And, and you can fill out the rest with sort of people in that camp. Um, uh, I think it definitely, um, plays to Powell's advantage. But again, Joe Biden, unpredictable. I don't know. I mean, um, uh, I, I, I don't, I was, I, I didn't really do a full research thing, but I like, you know, tried to poke around a little bit about like Joe Biden's past, um, past, you know, statements or whatever on, on monetary policy. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really find much. I think he's, um, I, I don't know that he's been super engaged on, um, on these issues although he just gave a speech in cleveland in may where he he was like you know the goal of my administration is full employment and rising wages and people having opportunities and it's like basically sounded like a jay powell you know a jay powell speech but 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 on 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 in a political uh, in a political event so um uh yeah are there Are there uh, are there other names you've you've brought up uh, kind of Roger Ferguson as would be uh, one of those not completely surprised but should be thought of as somebody that uh, is in the realm of possibility. Are there other names that you think are not getting attention uh, appropriate attention based on maybe the the odds or the 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 book that is going to be presented eventually to uh, to Biden if it's not already there. Yeah, so I think you have to start at um, at CEA. We you know we've had okay. we've had we've had the CEA chair becomes Fed chair. That, that's a um, that's a path that's been traveled before, right? So I don't think CC Rouse is potentially. Um, uh, I, I don't know that she's interested in this, and she kind mm-hmm. of just started in this job, but like somebody in that position with that profile is definitely like, you know, I I would say in the same sort of like, you know, she just had a confirmation vote. You know, she's highly accomplished um, as a academic practitioner. She's tied into Biden already. Um, uh, uh, You know, it it would, and she's not seen as, you know, like a crazy lefty. uh, you know, somebody in that mold um, would, would, so she, she would be one, again, I don't know her interest or, um, you know, she, I, I don't think her career has been focused on monetary policy, but that hasn't, you know, 
step people before from becoming Fed chair. Um, <laughs> Janet Yellen, there was a rumor, you know, rumors about, yeah. like, well, if she, yeah. you know, it would be an interesting symmetry of, <laughs> you know, Biden restoring, you know, order to to the Fed, which is like she shouldn't have been fired in the first place. It would be a, it would be if you were going to replace Powell, that might be the cleanest story for Democrats, right? She has. Mm. She has already served in the role. Um, she shouldn't have been fired to begin with. Like, let's restore her. I don't know that she wants to, yeah. to go back to, to, to being Fed chair. But the, the other advantage, if Biden went that way, is it, it, would, it would clear out the, um, the position. And, and then you could make Lael Treasury Secretary, which I think is what a lot of people expected you know, all, all along. Um, uh, so Janet, uh, CC Rouse, um, you know, I think that um, there were early rumors about Rafael Bostic, who's the Atlanta Fed president. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard as much about that anymore. Um, you know, from he's a relatively new policymaker. I think he started in 2017. I guess he's not that new anymore. He's four years, I guess, three and a half years in the job. But um uh, I think that um, he his name could pop up. Um, although I, I would expect that Roger Ferguson, you know, again, if somebody's going to come out of left field at the last moment, yeah. I think it's going to be more of a. I think Ferguson has more of like the safe hands profile than like Nine a Bostic. Yeah, exactly, time. exactly. Yeah. Crisis. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And like, you know, if it was going to be Ferguson, I think you'd have a lot of people with that experience, you know, come out of the woodwork saying, you know, oh, he's great. You know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, whereas Bostic, I don't think has that as, as much institutional sort of, um, uh, I, I don't know, you know, uh, credibility, you know, built up, you know, because he's new, relatively new to the job. Um, yeah, I guess those are some names I would put out there. Um, uh, and then, you know, so, yeah, Sarah Bloom Raskin was both uh, Fed governor and deputy secretary of the Treasury. Um, um, and so I theoretically, I think her name could come up, although I think it's probably more likely for a vice chair for supervision mm-hmm. um, conversation. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, there might there might be others. I'm, I'm missing sure, sure. Jason, uh, Jason Furman, maybe or. I think one name that will not come up is Larry Summers. I can confidently predict that Larry Summers will not be nominated uh, to chair the Fed. How much? How much daylight do you see on the political side of the political skills side of things? Rather, I mean, we we talk a lot about how basically everyone who's everyone who you just mentioned is more or less, uh, you know, with the with the exception of maybe some of the more fringe candidates, is more or less the same on monetary policy. Um, and now, you know, with Delta and, and, you know, things getting a little dicey with when is the Fed going to raise rates and taper, it's kind of coming into play again that, oh, you know, Paul's got these great relationships and he's, he's great in crisis. Yep. Um, you know, my sense is that, is that Lale is great in crisis. You know, we haven't seen yep. her on the Hill and we haven't seen her in yep. press conferences, but I'm sure she's great. She cut her teeth at Treasury. She's been around forever. She's clearly very smart. Um, but you know, she doesn't have that R next to her name and, and whatever and yep. she did. She wasn't maybe in all the rooms that Paul was in, in 2020. Uh, how much do you see that rearing its head, whether, 
both into the decision and after the decision, uh, how much is that going to matter? It's a very interesting question. And you're totally right to, to point out Leo, Leo in a crisis. I mean, she was, she was point for treasury on, um, on the whole European disasters, mm-hmm. macro disasters of 2010, 2011. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously not the same thing, but uh, if you go back and read, um, she was definitely definitely playing point for the United States government at that at that point. And, and I, she's been on the Financial <clears throat> Stability Committee, you know, for, yeah, in twenty twenty. Yeah. yeah, very very well rounded, um, very well rounded experience. And um, yeah, I mean, one thing I really like about Lael is she she has the international dimension, um, which I think is incre- increasingly important. Um, and you know, for example, and she was totally, she had a great call in tw- early 2015. She was like, look, if we start suggesting we're going to hike, you know, we're going to have a run up in the dollar and we're going to get even further from our inflation target because the dollar is going to strengthen and our inflation readings are going to go down. And it's exactly, I mean, she called it, she just nailed it on the head and exactly what happened. You know, they started signaling, signaling hike, dollar went up. Inflation, inflation readings went down, and uh, we missed our two percent inflation target, even though labor markets were were tightening. Anyway, so um, uh, but yeah, you know, if if Leo gets nominated, um, she's going to get hit hard from the right. Um, you know, if you go back and look, she made donations to Hillary Clinton while she was serving on the Fed, um, which was its own little mini scandal at the time. That will get dragged up. Yeah. Um, you know, people will note that she was probably the most dovish member of the committee, as I just said, in 2015. But by 2018, she was probably the most hawkish. She had, in September 2018, she said that the Fed probably needed to do a year or two more of hikes. So that would be mm-hmm. like as many as eight more hikes, which the Fed did literally one more and then reversed it. Um, and uh, she she was... You know, but 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 then by twenty twenty one, she's again, you know, the most dovish member of the committee. I don't think she's like a Judy Shelton partisan actor, but like people are going to, you know, bring that up. Um, and how much will that matter? I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to draw the direct causal, you know, um, direct causal links. I think. I mean, one thing you can look at is what happened in, in 2014 when, when, when Yellen took over as Fed chair. And it coincided with obviously a long period of zero interest rates and a lot of frustration from Republicans and conservatives. And she just got besieged. You know, she was just, um, I mean, Humphrey Hawkins hearings were just people teeing up, on, teeing up on her. Why are you talking about inequality? Like, we don't care about, you know, like, you know, you're you're like she just she just got totally besieged on on the politics. Did that influence? Um, did that influence uh, the the decision to hike rates or signal that she was going to hike rates? You know, I don't know. It's it's it definitely the decision to hike, even though we hadn't hit two percent inflation, definitely came amidst a general what I would say full court press outside and even inside the committee to say, we have to normalize, it's been too long. Um, and, you know, I think we could, I think we could see the same um, if Leo is chair. On the other hand, I think the committee is much less hawkish than it was in 2014. And I think in general, 
you know, people like Loretta Mester and Esther George, um, your listeners will know they're both reserve bank presidents who in the past have been what I would consider hawkish, but like, I think both of them are much more open to the Powell story about, um, you know, there have been structural changes in the world and we've learned a lot. We learned a lot about the last recovery and how sensitive, you know, um, well, they would say like how low our star is and how much room there is to run on labor market. And um, so it could be that the 2014, 2015 analogy doesn't hold as well. What I fear though is, you know, how, um, you know, I, I want, I, I want full employment to be a priority <laughs> in good times and bad times in democratic administrations and Republican administrations. I want this, to be a sustained thing that carries beyond the Biden administration. And I feel like in terms of making it concrete on the committee and in the broader world, that this is a co-equal priority for the Federal Reserve, you know, there's a lot going for Jay Powell in no large, in no small part, because he is the one that got, you know, he's the one literally talking to Esther George about like, what is it gonna take to get you on the September guidance, right? So I'm a little, yeah. You know, I don't, I can't trace all the causal mechanisms where it's like you pull Jay Powell out and the whole house of, house you know falls down. But um, I, I do think there's some risk that the person who stitched together this consensus and sold it, I think rather well to the broader world of policymakers and public, if you pull that person out and replace them, you know, I don't think it's a sure thing that it, it, it all goes you know, just as just as well as it did, but it's really hard for me. I mean, I've gotten conversations on Twitter about it. But it's really hard to quantify. Well, what is that? And I think a lot of people fairly say, like, well, like, what about like giving Lael a chance? It's like, yeah, totally. Like, um, that's why I, you know, if Biden appoints Lael, I'll, I'll, you know, say like, good on him. She's a good candidate. Um, but I don't think we should be so blasé that we don't say like. There, there's some risk in that, you know, there's, there's some meaningful risk in that, especially if like, like for Employ America, your, your North Star is, you know, the tight labor market um, uh, question. I think that's a, that's a perfect place to, uh, to wrap it up. Uh, this is going to be a, it's going to be a big, uh, a big couple of months, uh, Sam, and, and, and even into next year, like you mentioned, uh, uh, the not getting distracted and 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 focusing on on full employment is going to be a a huge discussion in the uh, nomination process once the the pick has been decided and then uh, even more importantly uh, once the the person gets going next year is going to be a really important year uh, so so thank you uh, very much uh, for for joining we'll we'll wrap we'll wrap it at there. Um, if, uh, listeners, if you have news or thoughts on the central verse, uh, you can reach, uh, me on Twitter at Caleb Nygaard as both of, uh, of, of these guys know the conversation never ends on, on Twitter. And there's, a this is the golden time. Uh, this is the golden time for us. So it's been a, a pleasure. Uh, Sam is at Sam underscore a underscore bell. And Steven is at Steven Kelly 49. Thank you to both of you for joining Thank you so much. Thanks, Caleb.